Amen and amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, I would invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. Uh, it is Evangelism Sunday, and I'm so glad that you are here for it. Uh, it is, and some of you are like, here for it, here for it, and I'm glad that you're here for it. Uh, so God is going to use this day, I believe, to really help us out as we think about what it means to love the world around us, <clears throat> as we think about what it means to reach, teach, live, and love like Jesus, obviously, this reaching component is a big deal, right? Uh, it is critical for us to be people who look beyond ourselves, but we got to be honest, that doesn't really come natural for us, does it? Uh, we, we are all about kind of looking at us and making sure we're okay, kind of, you know, us for and no more kind of thing, right? You think of your family, that's all important, and if you're like my family, it's like us eight and we great, right? So it's like, you know, like you just kind of, we, we protect and think about ourselves and our own, and, and it's hard to like look around and see the world around us. Yet, what we're going to see is that Jesus models for us and teaches us that we need to be people who are looking for opportunities to share the gospel. So today is all about evangelism unashamedly. Our message this morning is about evangelism. Not only are we spending some time this morning talking about evangelism, we're going to come back together this afternoon at 4 p.m. right here in this room. We're going to have some tables and chairs set up, and we're just going to have some practical teaching about how it is that we evangelize. And we're even going to have some practice sharing the gospel in a super safe and controlled environment just at your table with the people sitting there with you. So I want to encourage you to come at 4 o'clock and join us for that. Some of you are like, man, that's not my thing. I'm nervous about that. I want to tell you this is going to be a safe place for you to come and hang out. We're going to have tables with about six chairs at each table. We're not going to make you get up in front of anybody and say anything. We're just going to kind of practice sharing with each other at our tables in a really safe and chill way. By the way, we're going to have some dessert there too. See, I know you. I know how to get you here, right? Uh, so bring some dessert to share, and, and I want to encourage you when you get here, uh, go ahead and grab some dessert and get seated because we're going to want to get started as soon as we can. Uh, a lot of really good content to go through and talk about, and hopefully it'll just be some tools that can help you think about how to share the gospel with people around you. So really excited about that. Please come hang out with us at 4 o'clock today. But before we get too far into this message, I do want to stop and just answer a big question Several months ago, and not really months, weeks ago, I guess it was a couple months ago though, I mentioned to you that on March 6th, we're going to have something we're calling Evangelism Sunday. And I, I talked about that in my message. And after the message, uh, Brandon and Caleb came up to me. He's like, oh, he's saying my name. Uh, came up to me back there and they're like, hey, I got a question. And I was like, what's your question? What's evangelism? That's a great question, and it's something that we need to answer, because some of you right now, you're like churchy enough that you kind of want to ask, but you're not going to ask. So thank you, Brandon and Caleb, for asking, because now we're going to tell you what evangelism is. Evangelism comes from a Greek word, evangel, that simply means messenger. So to evangelize is to literally become a messenger who is sharing the good news of the gospel with others, to share the message of Jesus with those who desperately need to hear it. So our goal today is not only to inspire you and challenge you, but we're going to take some time again this afternoon to actually equip you to be a messenger of the gospel, to be able to share the truth of Jesus and talk about how you can do that effectively. So I'm, I'm excited, and one of the reasons we're doing this is because I do think that this is the call of every single believer. 
Again, this is the first word of our mission statement. And this is the first thing we say in our vision is that we want to be a people who reach others. Sharing the gospel is not something that is exclusively for the preacher. You need to know that today. I know that in modern Christianity, we've kind of turned evangelism into a come and see sort of thing, right? Like your job as the church is to invite people here so I, as the pastor, can lead them to Christ through preaching and proclaiming the gospel. And I want to tell you that I hope certainly that you can invite friends to church knowing that they are going to hear the gospel of Christ clearly proclaimed. I hope that you can do that and I believe that you can. But the primary call of every believer is to be an evangelist. The truth is you, yeah, you, every single you in this room is called to be an evangelist. I'm afraid, though, a lot of Christians have forgotten their calling. Have you ever walked into a room and when you got there, you forgot what you'd gone in there for? Some of you you are like, all the time. So if you're familiar with our campus, my office is like in the very back corner. And our main office where Miss Trista and Miss Cheryl work is all the way up here. So it's a good solid like minute, minute and a half walk depending on how fast I'm going. And I'll just tell you, I usually run. So no, I'm kidding. Uh, You come to the office, I'm sprinting down the hall. What's going on? Uh, But on that walk, a lot of times what will happen is by the time I get to the front office, I forgot what I went up there for. And then even if I remember, I get in and Trista has a question for me or Cheryl says, hey, Rusty, come look at this. And by the time I'm done saying, hey, what's going on? How are y'all? Grab the stuff out of my inbox and leave. I'm like, wait a second. I came up here for something. You know when it usually hits me? Right about the time I get back to my office. So you have to turn around and do that. So, so the reality is life distracts us. Life gets in the way. There are things that are not even really bad things per se, but that distract us and cause us to forget what it is we are here for. And I believe so many Christians have been distracted by the world to the point that we have forgotten what we're here for. God has placed us here so that we could be on mission for him, and that mission starts with evangelism, telling others about Jesus. Evangelism ought to be one of the defining characteristics of the Christian life, but I believe that instead, I think it's one of the greatest blind spots in modern Christianity. And if you don't believe me, I brought the receipts with me today, okay? Poll numbers that Ed Stetzer, who is a professor at Wheaton College, shared uh, that that LifeWay did, I believe in association with Barna, said that 80% of Christians they polled said that they believed they have an obligation to share the gospel. So 80% of people believe that they should share their faith. So maybe the next thing you would think, well, people know they should, but they just don't know how. Well, actually, 75% of people polled believed that they know enough and feel comfortable sharing their faith. So the vast majority of people say we should and we could. But here is what's tragic, friends. In that same poll... Only about 10%, let me see what the exact number was, 15% had shared the gospel more than three times in that past year. And about 25% of that group had shared the gospel one to two times. So about 40% of people had shared the gospel at all, but they had shared it very three times or less. And here's where I have to tell you what statisticians would refer to as the halo effect. 
And the halo effect says this, that if you are asked a question that you know you should answer in the affirmative for moral or faith reasons, there's a good chance you're going to lie about it. (laughs) They literally create margin in these studies because people are like, if I asked you, when's the last time you shared the gospel? I promise you, some of you would get to work trying to come up with a good answer. Or, you know, there's just one person at work one time and, you know, they saw me with my Bible app open, shared my faith, right? And I'm not saying there's no value in that, friends, but I'm just saying that that the fact of the matter is, let's just be honest and look at these statistics. The overwhelming majority of Christ followers like you, if you're in Christ today, would say, I should share the gospel and I could share the gospel, yet the vast majority of Christians are not sharing the gospel. And I think those numbers would probably bear out in this room. We're not going to do this, so don't panic, and please don't raise your hand. There's always the one who's like, I have been, right? Don't. We'll talk about pride next week. (laughs) But if I were to say, have you shared the gospel with anyone in the past year, I wonder how many hands could honestly go up. And then if I said, well, keep your hand up if you've shared it more than three times, I believe even a lot of those hands would probably go down. The fact of the matter is we know that we should, and many of you know that you could, yet we're not. So so the question becomes why? And it would be pretty easy for me today to kind of shame you, right, to guilt you. Like some of you already are feeling it. I could just turn the heat up. Do you not care that 20,000 people live within two miles of this building and that the vast majority of them are going to die and go to hell separated from the love of God? Do we care? And and listen, uh, I've been preaching a long time and I feel pretty confident in my communication skills that I can make you feel like crud the rest of the day. Maybe even make you last a few days into the week thinking about, I need to evangelize more. But can I tell you, at the end of the day, it's not going to really change you. But what will change you is Jesus Christ giving you a real compassion and heart for the lost. We have an important message today, and I believe that Jesus stands ready to use a church full of evangelists to turn Wichita upside down for the sake of his kingdom. So with all that in mind, let's get to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to read verses 35 through 38. An incredible text. I'm so excited to preach today. You can't hear me. Brad might. I'm drumming on the podium up here. I'm so excited. Love the word of God, and I love being with God's people Can I tell you, I'd love preaching the word to you, and I love getting to hang out on Sundays with the body of Christ, and I hope that you look forward to that every week too. And even on the weeks when I'm not looking forward to it, yet that happens even for the preacher, can I tell you that when the saints gather for worship and around the word, that I'm always edified, I'm always built up, I'm always encouraged, and I leave saying, what kind of special jerk are you to not have wanted to go go today? That was for somebody in here. (laughs) The word of the Lord, Matthew chapter 9. Let's start reading verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Will you bow your heads? Let's pray and ask the Lord for his help. So Lord, we come to this text asking you to do what only you can do, and that's speak to our hearts. Give us your compassion so that we can be compassionate evangelists. Lord, thank you for what you're gonna do in this time. It belongs to you, and would your spirit move as we study this text together. It's in your name we pray, amen. Well, we just dove right into the middle of the story of Jesus here in Matthew's gospel, and really we are at an important point in his ministry and in the gospel of Matthew. In uh, chapter 10, we're going to see Jesus beginning to send out his disciples. The 12 are going to go and do some ministry on their own. So really, this serves almost as a hinge as the book begins to shift gears a little bit. So the disciples, the original 12, have been discipled by the greatest disciple-maker of all time, Jesus Christ. And now he is at the point where he is literally going to shift from doing ministry in front of them to sending them out to do ministry themselves. They're going to go and then they're going to come back. And we see in the text that when they come back, they're talking about, man, this was awesome or we struggled with this. This happened. I can't believe this happened. I can't believe this didn't happen. And they're having conversations about it and unpacking that and walking through that. And really just a beautiful picture of what disciple making looks like, by the way, in this text. But they've seen Jesus himself live his truth out. They've seen him preaching the Sermon on the Mount talking about truth that comes from God. They saw him preach the truth, then they saw him live the truth. He's casting demons out of people. He is healing people. He is saving people from their sins. He is praying to his heavenly father in a way that they have never seen or experienced before. And in kind of a mini great commission in chapter 10, he is going to send out the 12. But before this happens, we have this powerful passage to study today. And it's a turning point that's meant to stand out in the text, to grab our attention. It's almost a summary of what has happened so far in Matthew's gospel. Verse 35 says, here's what Jesus did. He went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction. So verse 35 tells us what Jesus did. Verse 36 tells us why Jesus did what he did. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus sees the crowds, the people who are seeking but have not found, the lost who are looking for their way home. And the text says that as Jesus sees them, he has great compassion in the Greek language, the term here for compassion is splonknizome. Yeah, that's a good word. Splonknizome. And I want to just share that with you because here's what that word actually means. And it sounds like it means that. The word splonknizome really means literally to be deeply moved within our bowels. Sounds like somebody had too much coffee or something, right? Like it's a, a gross sounding deep, like it's meant to sound graphic. That word that we now translate as compassion. Like it just, like I'm just saying, Compassion International, like if it was Splunknizome, you know, International, it doesn't have the same ring to it, right? Or Moved Within Your Bowels Ministries. <laughs> doesn't sound fun, 
Okay. Got a little out of control there on Splunk Nizome. I'll start talking about the Greek New Testament. It gets me excited. I wanted you to see and, and feel how deep this is, though, because this word it is not a moment of sympathy. I think when we think compassion, we think of like a passing, fleeting moment, but this is not just a passing moment of feeling sorry for them. This isn't just sympathy and empathy, you know, and like, oh, no, this is not that. Jesus is moved in the deepest part of who he was. Perhaps the greatest English equivalent to splotnizome would be the term or phrase gut-wrenching. When Jesus saw the lost, the broken, those who were hurting, he was moved with compassion at the deepest part of who he was. Friends, I just got to ask you a question today. Do you have compassion for the lost? When you see our culture, when you see the world around us, when you see people in your life who don't know Christ, are you moved in the deepest part of your being? I'm a bit concerned today for what I would just call the tone of the modern church. Because I think unintentionally, even strong, orthodox, biblical churches have unintentionally picked up on a very American idea that is frowned upon in the Bible, and that idea would be pride. And I think pride stops us from having compassion in a couple of ways. First, pride makes us angry. It makes us angry. We want to be right. So, so when we see people who believe differently than us, when we see people who don't align with us biblically, don't align with us, even knowing Jesus at all, I think that when I look at the church at large, we tend to be very bothered by the lost world around us, but I don't know that we're really burdened. Do you know the difference between those when you stop and think about that? I don't know that we're really burdened, but I do know that we're very bothered by the lost world around us. When I hear people talk about our culture, when I hear people talk about the sins of our culture, when I hear people talk about how crazy things are in the world, I I feel and, and sense a bitterness and an anger and a frustration, but I don't know that I very often sense compassion. Rather than looking at the world and saying, man, those people are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, we say, I can't believe them. There's a difference between being bothered and being burdened. This phraseology came to me about a month, month and a half ago in a staff meeting, where, I'll just be open and honest with you, I was very bothered by something that was kind of happening in our church as a whole, kind of an attitude that I perceived amongst my brothers and sisters in the church. And I was in staff, you know, that happens too sometimes, where I'm just like, I just can't, and the staff very wisely said, well, well, you need to talk about that with the church. You need to bring that up Sunday. And I was like, you know, I think I will. (laughs) And I was ready, y'all. Some of you are like now, like, I wonder what it was. You'll never know. Because as I was praying about it that night, You know what the Lord told me? You're really bothered by this, but you're not really burdened about it. And and when I sensed that from the Lord, I was like, okay. And then as I was writing this message, I was like, the same thing happens with the lost world around us. It bothers me that there's so many lost people. 
It bothers me that people think Christianity is so foolish and stupid. It bothers me that what used to be a, a culture that accepts and promotes Christianity now is marginalizing Christianity. It bothers me, but it should, church, burden us because there are so many who are lost. Our pride stops us from having compassion because we're angry. So pride keeps us angry instead of compassionate, but also I think a second thing pride does is it keeps us apathetic. We're part of an extremely self-absorbed culture, so we don't really have moments of compassion. You know why? Because we're never looking up at the crowds. We're too busy looking at ourselves. We don't see the lost world around us because we're all looking at us. We don't see the crowds because we're too busy trying to take a selfie with the crowd in the background on portrait mode so they're kind of blurred out and the bokeh just kind of gets them out of the picture and people can see that we were there with a crowd. But Jesus does not do this. In a culture where it's all about us, can I just say Christians, we, we can read all the Christian self-help books, you can attend 12 Bible studies, you can listen to sermon podcasts and radio shows all the while. We don't even notice the crowds of lost people around us, let alone have compassion toward them. But Jesus was where his feet were. He was looking up. He wasn't looking down at his phone. He, he wasn't consumed with himself. He was looking at the crowds. People said, well, you, maybe you're like, yeah, but, but Pastor Rusty, I'm an introvert. It's my favorite. That's, that's your go-to excuse for evangelism for some of you. I'm just an introvert. Can I just tell you there's a case to be made that Jesus was an introvert too. That's why he consistently is found withdrawing to the quiet place hours on end and they couldn't even find him because he was having to refuel and spend time with his heavenly father so that when he would be with the crowds, he would be with the crowds. When he was with people, he was with people. Church, how many lost people are on the margins of your life that you've just learned to casually ignore them? We can't allow our pride to keep us focused on us. Me-centered living is a miserable way to live, but Jesus saw the crowds and he invites us to look up and see the people around us. Why? Because as the text says it, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now listen, this is astounding to me. Jesus didn't send an email out to the masses and say, hey guys, we need new workers. Disciples wanted. No, in fact, he did something and said this to his disciples. The, the people who had left everything to follow Jesus, he says this to them. Y'all, I really could use some people that have compassion for the lost. Can I just tell you, Jesus is getting uninvited from, you know, every like lead, church leadership seminar that there is. This is not the way you do it. You don't gather up your key leaders and say, hey, there's no one to help me fulfill the mission. But that's essentially what Jesus is doing here in this moment. The disciples probably are thinking in this moment, what about us? But before they can ask any questions, in verse 38, Jesus says, Therefore, pray 
earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So don't miss what Jesus does here. He says to his disciples, pray that God would send some people out. Now, let me just tell you how I've heard this taught for years growing up in the church. Usually it's like, hey, y'all, we got so much work to do. Like, man, we need new life groups or we need new ministry leaders. We need, need you know, new leaders in our church. We, we need more because God's sending people in our church. So let's just pray that the Lord would bring workers into the harvest. Like, not a us, but some other people. Lord, pray that God will put it on somebody's heart to go tell the lost about Jesus. But what's incredible here is that Jesus says this here in this passage, pray that workers would come, and then what does he do in the very next few verses that we didn't read? He sends out the 12 disciples. I love what he's doing. His compassion for people leads him to call on his disciples to pray for that same compassion and that desire to be sent out. And then after that, what does he do? He sends them out. So this passage is not a call for them to come so that they can be sent And yes, certainly, we pray that the Lord would move in people's hearts to to be missionaries and to give their lives to service for the kingdom of God. But can I tell you what this passage is a call to do? Jesus is calling his disciples, you and me, to pray that God would give us a heart of compassion so that we can be the ones who are sent out into the fields that are white unto harvest. I can tell some of you wish it was the other way. It's a lot easier to pray that God would send somebody else. Lord, give them compassion. Jesus wasn't trying to drum up a bigger team of disciples. He was asking his disciples to pray about becoming compassionate evangelists. So so here's what this tells us, and this is so important, guys, because remember what I said earlier. You know, I might could guilt you into a couple weeks of evangelism. But Jesus says, if you want to be a compassionate evangelist, here's how it actually happens. Pray that the Lord would give you a compassionate heart. Pray that the Lord would send workers into the harvest. And when we do that, guess who those workers end up being? Us. It's the call is to pray for compassion. Pray for compassion. Listen, friends, you can't white-knuckle yourself into compassion You don't have enough willpower to make yourself compassionate. Left to ourselves, we are always going to be a people of pride. But the Lord is inviting us today to become intentional about praying for the lost. Not only praying for the lost, but praying for us that with the Lord's help, we would have this same gut-wrenching compassion, a feeling so deep within us that we cannot help but respond by seeking opportunities to share the gospel with others. The call is that we would become laborers who are ready to be sent out into his harvest. So I know in moments like this, some of you are thinking, There's no way. 
like even if I felt compassion, like I, I, don't, I don't know how, I don't know what, I, you know, I, I'm not ready for that. I can't share the gospel. What, what if I try to do it and they ask me a question that I don't know? Uh, what if I get confused? You know, when I'm in those conversations, it just gets complicated. What, what I want you to do right now, please hear me when I ask this of you. Don't decide now that you can't share the gospel. Because I know that's kind of the default setting for some of us. Right now in this moment, you've already decided that, well, that's not me. Here's what I want to tell you. You are 100% correct. You cannot do this. But can I tell you what the invitation of this message is? Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Because he can take a bunch of prideful people like us that are very concerned for our own home, and he can help us see that if you live in a neighborhood, that the six-house quadrant around you, four of those homes are unchurched. Now, I don't know that that means they're lost, but there's a good chance if you're not connected to a local body of believers that you might not know Christ. The overwhelming majority of your neighbors do not know Jesus. Knowing that's not going to make you a compassionate evangelist, but can I tell you that if you start praying to the Lord and asking him to make you a compassionate evangelist, you are going to see people with different eyes. You're going to see your workplace with different eyes. You're going to see your school classroom with different eyes. You're going to see your family with different eyes. Some of you are like, compassion for my family. It's the hardest part. Friends, I believe the Lord wants to use us as compassionate evangelists to turn this city upside down for Christ. So we're going to have a moment of invitation here in a second, and and I want to just ask you to do something that I know is probably a little bit out of your comfort zone. And let me just be honest with you. I I I had a big plan. It was going to be cool. I was going to have you come up here. We were going to write down names of people who are lost that we can be praying for, and you prefer that. I do too. I'm going to write some names down and then, you know, we'll go back to my seat feeling good about myself. But can I tell you what needs to happen this morning? We as the body of Christ need to come to the altar and pray about us. We need to come and say, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Lord, give me a heart for the lost. Help me see past me, past my junk, past my problems, past everything I'm doing. Help me see the lost and have a heart for them. So I pray that in a moment as we have a hymn of response that that you would come and pray. I'll just encourage you to do that. Maybe as a family, as a couple, or as an individual, just come to the altar, come stand up front and just say, Lord, give me a heart for the lost. I believe that the Lord will answer that prayer. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge that it brings us today. Lord, we ask God that you would help us to have a heart for the lost. Lord, that we would indeed be a people who know you and a people who can worship you, but also a people who long for other people to know you. Lord, we want to be your people living for your glory. We want to be people who are saved by the cross and people who are proclaiming the good news of the cross to the world around us. So God, I pray for moments in my heart and in the heart of my brothers and sisters in this room 
that Lord, whether they're members of our church or if they're just visiting today, God, even then, every single person under the sound of my voice right now would be compelled to become a compassionate evangelist. Lord, I thank you for what you're gonna do. Help us respond in a way that honors and glorifies you.